The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Olas Media presents Nation State of Play. Welcome to the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode, we explore the political stories that are driving public policy in California. We explore these stories with political insiders, business leaders, journalists, and policymakers themselves to get below the surface of the headlines and show you the true forces shaping our nation state. Thanks for listening. Today, we have a great guest, Nicole Gill with Accountable Tech, really working on holding big tech accountable for the many different troubling things that are going on these days, for particularly the violence, the hate speech, um, really the toxic nature of communications in general. And we have a conversation about Twitter, which has been in the news a lot. Um, and so it's really hard to keep up with these developments. We, we try to cover the latest, but more importantly, get into the solutions for what people can do and what advertisers can do to really change what's going on, um, which is fueling hate speech across the internet. And it's just a hugely important topic. So um, this is an episode that's near and dear to our heart and really glad to have Nicole on. who's one of the country's leading experts to talk about this. So stay with us. Nicole Gill, the Accountable Tech Project coming up after this. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear the latest updates from the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Nicole, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Could you start by telling us just a little bit about your organization and what you focus on? Yeah, sure. So I'm the co-founder and executive director of Accountable Tech. We are a nonprofit advocacy group that holds big tech companies accountable for the harms that they're inflicting on uh, our society and and especially democracy. Great. So um, couldn't think of anything more topical right now. We've got a lot of issues going on. And, uh, you know, we we focus on California policy, but also federal policy that impacts California. And as I've I've said many times on the show, these are almost exclusively California companies that we're talking about. I think we have a special obligation here in California to tackle these issues. Um, And we're not doing much of anything about it actually right now. Um, And I want, I want to start with the Twitter story because it's, it's, uh, it's the thing that's in the news uh, the most, almost impossible to keep up with the daily developments from, from the erratic Mr. Musk, but what um, you're running a campaign, I think it's called Stop Toxic Twitter. Can you tell us a little bit about what your focus there is? Yeah. I mean, by the time this airs, I'm sure there'll be new Musk induced news to discuss. It it, it seems to keep doing that every few hours. Um, So we have been opposed, Accountable Tech has been opposed to Elon Musk purchasing Twitter since that was first announced in April. Um, our social media companies that play a dominant role in how we communicate and how information is shared, you know, shouldn't be in the hands of unaccountable billionaires like Elon Musk. Um, and we had concerns about what he would do to the platform 
um, how he might cut staff, how he might, um, you know, reduce the safety and security and, and would data be safe? And all of those um, worries have really borne out. Um, incredibly quickly. Yeah, incredibly quickly. Yeah. I think uh, quicker than I thought. Um, he's really gone full tilt here. Uh, so the Stop Toxic Twitter campaign is a coalition of more than 60 organizations that came together immediately after the sale closed to demand that advertisers at a minimum hold Elon accountable for uh, keeping basic content moderation and, and safety procedures and protocols in place on the platform. And uh, that kind of quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. And so we are calling on all advertisers to stop advertising on Twitter because they're they're giving money towards this regime. Um, and their ad, ad dollars actually make an incredible impact on Twitter. And in, in the last year with available data, 90% of Twitter's revenue came from advertising. So that, that makes a big difference. Well, and, and, and that's exactly what I want to unpack more because this, this uh, I certainly agree is the, is the heart of the whole topic. But, but let's go into a little more detail on what he has done to remove the safeguards on, on the content first. So he, he dissolved, I think it was this week abruptly, the, the Trust and Safety Council. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think he did that last week. Just sort of the final <laughs> theoretical guardrail mm-hmm. on, on any mm-hmm. of, of and this madness. And that was a, like just a council of outside experts that were kind of on board to advise and counsel the leadership of, of Twitter. They weren't making decisions. Um, but for some reason, he decided that was uh, intolerable to him. You know, He immediately fired all of the top executives, including their head of trust and safety. Um, he has now reduced the workforce. I saw something this morning that he's cut 70% of the workforce. Um, it's just not physically possible to maintain the safety and security of a platform as large as Twitter with 70% less people. Um, you know, that, that, that makes a huge difference, not in the sense of, you know, there might not be enough people to do the job, but also just institutional knowledge. Um, you know, where, knowing where to go or who to call when something breaks they don't have that anymore. Um, and and Elon doesn't seem to care all that much about it. So in addition to removing the employees and outside advisors who are responsible for safety, he has reinstated, um, we've got to unpack this a little bit because he initially reinstated all accounts, then he started, then he started suspending um random different accounts for different reasons. But initially, he basically said all suspended accounts are reinstated. Did I I get that right? Yeah, um, all suspended accounts that didn't, weren't uh, like charged with breaking the law, I think was his, his line. Um, But yeah, he's, he's replatformed, you know, neo-Nazis, leaders of QAnon factions, like not like, you know, objectively not great people that are just on the platform to spread a, a hateful, nasty, violent message. 
people who use Twitter to help plan the January 6th insurrection, including, including former President Trump, incidentally, who I take it, hasn't come back on, but, but he's, he's been welcomed back on. He only hasn't come back on because he has a competing yeah, company has a, now. His account has been reinstated, but he hasn't <clears throat> tweeted yet. He's been sticking to truth social. Um, you know, we'll see how long it takes for him to cave and, and come back to Twitter. Donald Trump is like Elon Musk, I think a man who enjoys the spotlight and Twitter provided a lot of that for him over the years. Yeah. And, and just for, for context on how Trump is currently using his own social media platform, this, would, this is allowed on Twitter. He, he recently called for the suspension of the United States Constitution on his own platform. And, and this is the kind of thing that would apparently be welcome back on Twitter now. Yeah, he called for the the suspension of the U.S. Constitution, um, again, because he believes that the 2020 election was stolen from him. So he's still pushing the big lie. Um, We did research that was released last week showing that we looked at um, about a five-month period of Trump's posts on Truth Social. And um, this might be getting ahead, but we we aligned them to Facebook's safety guidelines and community standards to see how they would hold up against kind of the rules of that platform. Um, and it was like 360 posts that clearly violated Facebook's uh, community standards. And those posts were mainly um, amplifying and follow and amplifying kind of QAnon content, QAnon leaders, sympathizers of that, which is a violent, um, you know, violent anti-Semitic racist movement. Um, he also spent a ton of time spreading harmful election-related disinformation that is just intended to undermine safety and trust that Americans have in our election system. And so in the last two years, since Trump has has not been on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, his rhetoric has actually only amplified. He's gotten more bold, um, more willing to make threats of violence. Um, and there's no reason that we think that would change if he was allowed back on a more mainstream platform. Right. Okay. So I, I know it sounds like a dwelling on the listeners, but I want to make sure we articulate all the parade of horribles of people who are now back on Twitter because of why we're talking about this. And so, you know, you've mentioned QAnon, but racists, anti-Semites, anti-LGBTQ bigots, people who spread COVID misinformation, people who spread election misinformation, um, criminals who've actively used Twitter to plan crimes, including January 6th, as we mentioned, school shootings. Um, what, what am I... What am I missing off from from this cauldron of thugs? And that's a pretty awful, awful list to start with. I mean, you know, he's taken a particular interest in anti-trans rhetoric, which is just so, so harmful. Um, And apparently Elon has a trans child. Um, Wow. He is incredibly anti-trans and is... Uh, spending time, you know, replatforming folks who spread that that kind of vitriol and message, and also sometimes amplifying it himself, um, and that that one has has real world consequences. This is a community that we know is already experiencing extensive mental health challenges um, and online bullying and harassment, and and when the 
well, he's not the richest man in the world anymore. But when then the richest man in the world is amplifying that content, it just uh, it offers a permission structure to others who might have held those beliefs but kept them back to be public and forthright with them. Absolutely. absolutely. Okay, I want to get to the advertising issue, but before I do that, I, I've been really uh, disheartened to see how few politicians have left, left Twitter, and so I want to ask you about that. Um, you know, we, and, and I do want to flag a few people who have been bold and brave on this locally here. Um, Jeff Rosen, who is the DA from Santa Clara County, was, was one of the first people I saw in Northern California to leave Twitter, and, and he cited all the things that we're talking about right now. And he, you know, being a DA from the heart of Silicon Valley, I actually thought that was really important because he talked about the law enforcement um, issues that Twitter is making much more dangerous with the, the violence and the hate speech and the planning crimes on Twitter. Um, and then uh, I think it was yesterday, the former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villabregosa, posted that he was leaving Twitter. And um, I, th- I thought he wrote a really thoughtful statement. So I want to commend everybody to read that. Uh, those are the only two I can think of. I'm sure I've missed some. But what are you seeing going on in this space from sort of mainstream politicians staying on Twitter? So you're right. Very few politicians have decided to get off the platform. Um, there's been some celebrities that have and have made you know, quite public posts about it. Elton John is the most prominent that comes to my mind right now. I think it's a little bit of what's the alternative. And there isn't really a viable alternative at the moment to Twitter. Um, And what Twitter is now took, you know, a decade to make. I joined Twitter in 2008. And that was, uh, I think, in the early years, but that was 14 years ago, right? And so this platform has been a central component of our news making system, our news sharing system for almost two decades. And to just pop something up that can replicate that is is challenging. There are people who are, are trying to do that, but I think it's going to take time and trial and error, which is probably right to, to do that, to give it some time. Um, so, you know, there haven't been many uh, politicians who who have left. I think the other big category of people here who have um, power is journalists and news organizations. So last week, um, Elon went on a banning spree of journalists who have written or spoken out against, or just not against him, but reporting. They're reporting the facts, and he doesn't like that. Um, And so he went ahead and banned a bunch of them. He's let some of them back on. He hasn't let them all, um, but he has let some. And I think in this moment, you know, again, like an individual reporter, it's hard for that type of person to leave the platform. It's a it's a place they get sources. It's where they build an audience. Um, But a news organization should consider what it is doing to fuel. Elon Musk Twitter. You know, there are some that are still advertising on the platform. Um, I would encourage those news organizations to stop immediately. You're you're paying an actor, a bad actor, who is banning and essentially censoring the free press. Um, I also think that platform, not platform, sorry, that um, news entities are going to have to really consider how long they can stay as an entity on this platform 
And if news organizations start to make moves or start to, you know, put conditions on Elon, I think that is a huge source of power and leverage on him um, because news is such a function of, of what Twitter is and why it's so valuable. What kind of conditions would be an example? I think they could put the same conditions on them, on him that we did, you know, uphold and maintain your content moderation and safety standards. Journalists have been getting attacked on Twitter, you know, long before Elon, but it's also gotten worse because there are less people to report it to. Um, and there's more people who are emboldened on the platform. Um, you know, I think also this idea of banning journalists whenever you want to, for whatever reason you want to, his excuse was that they were doxing his son. There's been no evidence to show that was, was the case. Um, and so I, I don't think that that is something we want to allow and become comfortable with in a democratic society, the censorship of and, and your, your point is they should cease advertising and potentially cease being on the platforms as organizations if those things don't happen, right? Yeah, I think they should consider what they're contributing <clears throat> by yeah. either advertising or, or being on the platform at some point. To, so to this point, one of the strange things, and I think actually the Washington Post covered this story, which is sort of meta on a few levels, but even when their own, even when some of these organizations own journalists were being banned <clears throat> over the last few weeks, the, organi the organizations themselves stayed on Twitter during the yeah, entire exactly. time and may, and may have kept advertising, I, I, I take it exactly. too, but, but that seems to be like table stakes. It's like, okay, we ban one of our journalists, like we're not going to be on as, yeah. as a paper tweeting. Right, platform, right. right. Once you're, you know, threatening the freedom of the press and, um, yeah, I think as an organ, a news organization, it's time to look at your policies and, and whether or not it's worth being on a platform that um, is choosing to censor. Yeah, and, that, and that's the part I wanted to do on for what you said before. I mean, you mentioned there's no alternative, but I, but I want to press you on that a, a little bit. Um, first of all, at a high level, why do we need an alternative? Why, why is it important to have a platform where we can stream of conscious post whatever whatever <laughs> comes to our head. <laughs> I think one factor is um, you know often when we're talking about Twitter and thinking about Twitter, we think about national news organizations, prominent global officials or or national officials, and it's actually used in so many um, local cases. Right. So you know the the my city councilor, for example uses his Twitter account and I follow him and, um, you know, he gives us updates on Twitter about there's a park in my neighborhood that's supposed to be getting redone. And I'm very, would like the park to be redone. Um, and it's a, just an easy method of communication between uh, local officials, especially, and their communities. Um, you know, you think about local election officials um, or sending out public safety notices, we've all kind of become accustomed to those showing up on Twitter first. But why can't you do that on Facebook and Instagram? What's the, I mean, what, what is a practical matter? Would well, I mean, first of all, it's interesting that nobody is suggesting that, right? Like nobody has suggested that we go back to Facebook as an alternative, which <laughs> says something about Facebook. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, I think... There are some folks that are 
but Twitter was kind of a pared down cleaner platform for news specifically. And Facebook is, you know, known as where you go to see your racist uncle spew off about something racist. Um, So it would be competing with other content that is designed to drive outrage, which is really how Facebook's algorithm works. The more outrageous something it is, the more engagement it gets, and therefore the more reach it gets. And so that would, I mean, we think Twitter's bad at incentivizing sound bites and headlines, like Facebook's algorithm would really reward that. Okay. So it sounds like you've stayed on Twitter personally. I have Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Um, I do have an Instagram account, although I don't post on it and haven't for years. And this past summer, I did try to post my dog died and I wanted to let people know, like friends from my past. And it was complicated to figure out how to post. Like these apps have gotten pretty intense and, and think that's like important to think about when we talk about parental controls or safety features. Like I couldn't figure out how to post a picture of my dog on Instagram. Um, so I'm on Instagram and I have joined new two new platforms, uh, Mastodon and Post. Um, and those are the only platforms I'm on. So your advice to people is not to leave Twitter, but I want to, again, I want to talk about this advertising issue, but, but as personal users, you're not asking people necessarily yeah. close their Twitter accounts or what, what's, what's your reaction when, like some of the instances I mentioned before, when some people have, have, uh, have no, I think Twitter. the people that have power here are advertisers. So that's why our actions and ass have gone directly to advertisers. And then, you know, kind of, like I said earlier, um, I think news outlets also have a lot of power here and they haven't exercised that. Individual users, I think there's a lot of people who have realized and identified how toxic Twitter has gotten over the past few years and made a decision to get off the platform. Um, You know, that's an individual decision. And I think folks should make the decision that is best for them and their mental health, especially. I just want to say I, I am one of those people. I'm, I'm completely off. It feels great, um, and and I I, I, com- I commend at least trying it to everybody. I'm not telling. I'm not trying to suggest that like this should be a permanent state. But if uh, one of the writers I like who says, "Are you on? You can't, yeah, are you on other platforms?" Um, you know, I'm on Instagram, but I don't post. I I view it. I use it purely for keeping up on a few yeah. niche sports that I follow. Okay. I have, so I have a completely non-work curated Instagram account where I'm, I'm just a, a, a voyeur for particular action sports news, which um, just for those who are listening out there know what I'm talking about. If you want to find out the latest in skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, <clears throat> Instagram is, uh, is where people post the cool tricks. So I view that as fairly non-toxic to my mm-hmm. mental health, unless it gets me to try try something when I'm still doing those sports as a middle-aged person that hurts myself, but that's my own fault. <laughs> um, at least mostly my, mostly my own fault. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just find the whole, I, the whole freedom of not feeling like I have mm-hmm. to um, share my opinions on things. Right. Just, if really liberating. You don't always have to have an opinion, um, uh, or at least share the opinion. Uh, so uh, anyway, I would just suggest maybe try it for a week, 
see, see how it feels. Usually if we think we can't live without something, that's probably when we need to try to live, live without it the most. Um, but, uh, but anyway, back to the advertising point, which I certainly agree with you is, is the heart of this issue. So, so let's talk about what's happened here. And I think one of the things I find confusing here is I see your point about politicians and individuals not necessarily having great alternatives, but there's plenty of advertising alternatives to Twitter. Twitter is just one of many things any big company does. Maybe it's better for certain products uh, and and uh, has has niches and performs well in things. But I don't think we. <clears throat> there's no company that only advertises on Twitter, or no major company that only advertises on Twitter. Maybe except Twitter itself. Um, what's what's going on here from your point of view? Yeah, I agree that Twitter is often kind of the afterthought on any CMO's um, budget line. And for that reason, I think it should be even easier to decide to yeah, not. That's my, that's my point. Why is that not Twitter? happening? Yeah, I think there's a couple things happening. One is a lot of um, the buys that are still existing, still are on Twitter, um, were pre-bought. They were bought before Elon took over. Um, a lot of large companies do this. They buy for the year in advance. Um, and so some of those are just cycling out. Um, so that's reason for some potential optimism here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think... Can I, sorry, can I, do you think some of that comes to the end now, like at the end of 2022? Could see a cliff in January? Yeah, I think January and first quarter 2023 will be really interesting. It's also just a period of lower advertising, right? Sure. Right after the holidays. Um, and so we'll get to see who was maybe uh, maintaining their ads for kind of consumer purchases, mm-hmm. right? Like advertising products or services that could be holiday gifts. Some of those might drop off. Um, Elon is a bully. He is a bully on and off Twitter. And I don't think anyone is free of his uh, grasp. And I think some of these brands are understandably concerned about what happens when he finds out that they have completely stopped their ad buys. And anecdotally, we have heard that from brands. Um, that they just, you know, they're reduced their spend to maybe $500 a week or, or, you know, a fraction of what it was, but they're maintaining something so that they can't be called out and then become prey for Elon to pounce on. Well, to, and to, to your point, he attacked Apple, which is the most valuable company in the world, and Tim Cook specifically. So if he's willing to take on Apple is probably willing to take on anything. Yeah, and Apple is like has upped their advertising. Like Apple is, you know, full speed ahead on Twitter right now. I want to I want to call this one out. I think this is really a strange uh, subthread of this of the story. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because initially they basically it looked like they stopped the advertising right, and and Musk called out Apple, and then it sounds like they spoke afterwards. And- well, his he. Um, I guess like after he bought Twitter, he found out that the Apple App Store takes a 30% cut of all um, purchases, downloads made on in the App Store. And he decided that this was, you know, like state secrets that he had just found out. I mean, this is fairly well known. There's been a 
uh, court case about it for the last few years. Epic Games has been suing Apple for that very reason. And so that is what he um, really tried to to take. uh, That is what got him really upset about um, Apple. As he was thinking about and has kind of launched, sort of launched his Twitter blue, his, you know, pay for checkmark system, he quickly realized that 30% of every $8 fee a month was going to go to Apple and decided to try to spark outrage about this. Um, I think all the other app developers, whether they're big or small in the app store right now said, yeah, bro, like we know we've been saying this for a while. Welcome to the fight. Okay. But then, but then there was this advertising um, discussion apparently between Cook and Musk. God, I'd love to be on fly on the wall in that one Um, because, because Twitter and, and and this gets into a few strange sub threads. Um, So, uh, so, so bear, bear with us listeners for a minute. So initially Musk said something along the lines of does Apple hate free speech because they had reduced their advertising. Am I, am I getting this right? I mean, that's just such a misunderstanding of what free speech oh, is. Oh, then that's what I want to get. That's exactly what yeah. I want to tease out here. Yeah. yeah. But, but just in terms of the sequence, it's like he, but it did seem like initially Apple reduced its advertising. Is that initially what happened? Um, you know, I honestly. There's so much chaos. It's impossible. It's impossible to keep up. But let's just, let's just stip it for this. I, it, that's my recollection. Is is what happened in the initial days? Yeah. Is Apple pulled back on its advertising that caused this this yeah nonsensical free speech quote? Um, and and this is this is exa- I'm, I'm glad you mentioned how how crazy this is. So I, I say this as a reformed self-hating lawyer. Okay, but but let's just get down what free speech is and what it's not and. And Stephen Colbert, if, if you haven't seen the clip, just said this absolutely perfectly a few weeks ago. Okay, so free, freedom of speech is about the government telling you what you can or can't say. It is not about advertisers being forced to fund hate speech or speech that they disagree with. Okay, it's about it's about government action. Okay, um, am I getting any of that wrong so so far from from your perspective? No, you're the lawyer. You're the lawyer. Well, again, again, I'm a self-hating reformed lawyer, but I but I've had people who I consider smart people, even other, mm-hmm. even other lawyers repeat this nonsense back to me. So I, I just want to tease yeah. this out. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one, it's, it's about what the government does. If you don't believe me, read the first amendment to the constitution. It, it's very clear. It says Congress shall make no law, blah, 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 blah. So Congress, that's, that's what we're talking about. So, so the idea that if an advertiser decides as a private entity not to advertise on a platform that that's somehow violation of free speech. That's just, you're, you're, you're just talking about apples and comparing apples and chicks and chickens. It's just, you've, you've melded so many different concepts. It's, it's, it's completely silly, but I also want to call out the hypocrisy of Republicans making this argument in particular, because this strikes me as especially rich that the party who's always talking about how the private sector can regulate itself when you see the private sector regulating itself by pulling advertisers from a platform that is allowing hate speech, then the Republicans complain that that violates the Constitution, that it's somehow big government is requiring you to fund that hate speech. And am I the only one who sees how crazy that is for the Republicans yeah. to, to make that to make that argument? 
Yeah. I mean, look, Republicans only believe in logic to the extent that it supports the argument they want to make. Um, so I think you're completely right. Uh, they will use any instance like this to claim censorship. And, um, you know, the, the in the same way that Apple or any company has the power and the uh, right to either advertise or not advertise somewhere, that platform has the right and ability to decide whether or not they're going to take that advertisement or not. Right. Like Elon also has power in this. He right. could be rejecting other advertisers. We don't know. We don't know because they're a private company and they haven't said it. And so it's extremely hypocritical. Um, and I think your point is, is right on. Well, and again, I, I want to commend people to Mayor Virago's statement on, on this that, that he posted on Facebook, not Twitter, explaining why he, he left Twitter yesterday because I think he, he did a really good job of, of calling this out. Um, so, uh, and, and maybe we should have him on the show sometime to, to talk about this more as I think about it. Um, okay, but b- back to this point about why the advertisers are like Nicole. So maybe some optimism that it's just they want to keep a toehold in, they're getting he, they're getting bullied. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that that perspective. Um, maybe it's just some cycling coming off. But clearly, there's alternatives, as you say. Twitter's a afterthought for most CMOs. Quite frankly, one of the reasons the platform like is not making money is like it's not a particularly good advertising platform. It's where, as you say, ninety percent of the revenue comes from, but it's still not very good at it. Um, it, which is just why it's on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, so, so to advertisers out there, like, what would you say uh, in, in terms of like, you know, alternatives out there, or just asking them why they're continuing to advertise on, on clearly a suboptimal advertising platform when it has yeah, all these I other societal risks? The um, you know the decision of why and how they advertise is up to them. I think at this point it's very clear that they are, if they're advertising on Twitter, they're funding the spread of violent rhetoric. They're uh, funding the spread of anti-Semitism, of QAnon theories, of hate speech, of racist content, um, anti-LGBTQ plus and trans content. and, And they're directly responsible for that because they're funds are enabling the platform to still run. And, uh, you know, if I was a brand that had my dollars running on Twitter, you know, I also would be pretty scared about what con- what type of content my ads are showing up next to. You know, the more of these bad actors he's let on, the more just really inappropriate and awful content we're going to see. And I don't want my brand to be seen next to anti-Semitism. That's a, that's a horrible look for my brand. Okay. So we're going to have to stop there. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, we didn't have a chance to even get to some of the other platforms. The Twitter stuff is just such a cauldron of crazy that um, I, I think it's time well spent. So I appreciate you indulging me in that. Maybe we could have you back sometime and talk about some of your other campaigns, which are also really important. But um I, first of all, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I think you're one of the few voices who's articulating this. But if people who are listening want to hear more about your work, read more about your work, how can they get involved? Where should they go? Yeah, we're at accountabletech.org. Um, and we're on uh, a couple of social platforms. We're still on Twitter. 
Um, we're starting on Instagram and, and starting to grow on other platforms, but just look up accountabletech.org um, for more information about us and our work. Great, Nicole, thanks so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. We invite you to share ideas for guests, ask questions, and leave comments. You can find us at neptuneops.com. Follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts as we continue to explore the insights and stories driving California politics. This is the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Olas Media.